0: I want to thank you for being here with us at Destiny Church, where we believe that God has a plan and a future and a purpose for your life, that you are not an accident, amen, but that you are divine, uh, created by God with dignity and value and worth, created in His image to live for His glory, to be a part of His kingdom. Amen. Uh, My name is Pastor Matt. I'm the pastor here at Destiny Church, and we just want to welcome you. If you're new here, thank you for being here today. So glad to have you here worshiping God together. We're going to spend some time in God's Word, so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And we're starting a brand new series here at the church today called Jesus Jesus' favorite stories. Can you say that? Jesus' favorite stories. And for the next 14 weeks, we're going to be looking at a different one of Jesus' parables. Jesus' teaching. We're going to spend time looking at what he taught about how to live in the kingdom of God and how to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And this specific group of teaching that we're going to be looking at are called the parables. Now, what is a parable, you might be asking? A parable is a simple story that contains a profound spiritual truth. It's a story from everyday life, a a common event that that the people in Jesus' day would recognize and would understand. They would experience in their own lives But through that uh, simple event and that common life situation, Jesus would teach a deep spiritual truth. And there are quite a few of them in the Bible, depending on how you count them. There's somewhere between 30 and 40 parables in the Gospels. And we find the parables in the three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Interestingly, John's Gospel contains... Zero parables. Now, the parables are are probably very familiar to you. Stories like the prodigal son. Have you ever heard that story? Or the story of the good Samaritan or or good Sam, if you want to call him that. Um, The story of the, the woman searching for the lost coin or the shepherd searching for the lost sheep. All of these are examples of parables that we will be studying over the next few weeks. Now, parables were a major part of Jesus' teaching, and the most important ones are found in all three Gospels, like the one that we're going to study today from Matthew chapter 13. It's actually also in Mark and Luke. Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8 also retell this same story. So why did Jesus teach in parables? Why did Jesus teach this way? Why did Jesus teach uh, using a story to communicate a spiritual truth. Now, we're going to actually see in the text today, Jesus himself is going to explain to his disciples why he teaches this way. His disciples are going to come to him and they're going to say, Lord, why are you teaching in parables? And he's going to explain it to them. So we're going to see the answer right in the text. And I just want to warn you, the answer that Jesus gives For why he teaches in parables, it's not the answer that you're going to be expecting. It's actually quite surprising, the answer that he gives. In fact, it might even be shocking for you today, which is kind of just Jesus' mode of operation, usually, to just say things that are so foreign to our natural ears that they are shocking So, I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive right into the text today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Lord, as we come to the pages of scripture, we we ask that you would open up our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us today. Lord, that it would go down deep into our lives and that it would produce good fruit for you and for your kingdom. Lord, for those who are hurting today, I pray your word would bring healing to them. Lord, for those who are lonely today, Lord, that your presence would surround them. Lord, for those that need correction today, Lord, we know for sure that your word can do that as well. So Lord, we ask that your word would accomplish everything that you have set forth for it to accomplish in our lives today to the praise of your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 23, and then we're going to come back and unpack it all together. Verse 1 says that the same day, and this is continuing a story from Matthew chapter 12, Jesus went out of the house and sat behi- beside the sea. That's the Sea of Galilee. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many sayings in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. From the one, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophet Isaiah is fulfilled that says, and here he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, for your eyes see, and blessed are your ears, for they hear, And it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundred, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to I look at why Jesus taught in parables And then I want to come back and look at Jesus' explanation. Many people assume that the reason Jesus taught in parables was so that his teaching could be easily understood. I've heard people say things like this, and maybe you have as well. Jesus was the master storyteller. Jesus could weave a story that would captivate the crowd's attention. And Jesus would use stories that were relevant to people's everyday life. And the reason that he did this, people will say, is so that they can understand easily the spiritual truth contained therein. How many of you ever heard anything like that before? The funny thing is, that's actually the exact opposite of the reason that Jesus says he teaches in parables. In verse 13, Jesus says, I teach in parables to hide the meaning from these people and have it only revealed to another group of people. Did you see that? Did you catch that in verse 11? The disciples come to him and say, why do you speak in parables? He says to his disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Jesus does not teach in parables to make the, 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 the truth easy to understand. He teaches in parables to hide the truth from a group, one group of people and only reveal it to another. He taught publicly in parables when he wanted to hide the meaning, not to make it clear. So the question arises, well, why would Jesus want to do that? Why would Jesus do that? In fact, to understand this, you have to go back one chapter in your Bible. This, this event is happening at a, at a very important time in Jesus' ministry. Jesus was a teacher. He was a preacher. He, he traveled from town to town with his ministry team, preaching God's Word, proclaiming the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And for three years, Jesus had a ministry like that, a public ministry where he went from city to city, from town to town, proclaiming the word of God, healing people, setting people free of bondages and disease and sickness. And this event happens. It's a critical shift in Jesus' ministry. It happens about two years into his public ministry. And and before this, Jesus did not teach in parables. In fact, you have to go all the way through the first 12 chapters of Matthew before you even get to a parable in Matthew chapter 13. Yet in Matthew chapter 13, there's seven parables. This is an important shift in Jesus' ministry. It happens about two years into that three-year period. And so what had happened? Why the shift? What changed? If you look at the the prior chapter to this, uh, Matthew chapter 12, or in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus performs an incredible miracle. They bring to Jesus a man who was possessed by a demon spirit. And this demon spirit had so taken hold of this man that he was deaf, dumb, mute, and blind. Those aren't good categories And they're really bad combined. So possessed by, under the influence of demonic, satanic power, this person could not speak, this person could not hear, this person could not see. They bring this person to Jesus. And guess what Jesus does? He sets him free, he he kicks the demon out of that person, because Jesus has all authority even over satanic and demonic spirits. There's, there's no authority above Jesus' authority. There's no power above Jesus' power. Amen. So Jesus, Jesus exercises this demon out of this young man. He heals him. Gives him his sight. Gives him his hearing. Gives him the ability to speak. An amazing miracle. It is an undeniable sign of Jesus' power of Jesus' messianic uh, position, that Jesus is the one that the Jewish people had been waiting for, this deliverer, this king that the prophets had spoken of. Jesus performed this miracle publicly, and the Jewish leaders and the, the, the religious leaders and, and the leaders of that nation, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and 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 all of these people in in prominent positions of power, they see Jesus' miracle. And do you think they celebrated like you did a few minutes ago? No, they did not. They did not celebrate. They actually despised Jesus in their hearts. Uh, Such a clear demonstration of the kingdom of God at work on the earth. And they despise it. In fact, they go so far to say that Jesus performed this miracle not in the power of God, but in the power of Satan. They say that Jesus casts out demons through the power of demonic spirits. They say he has not done this through the power of the Holy Spirit, but through the fallen spirits. And they begin to plot in their heart how to kill him. They begin to to confer together how do we get rid of this Jesus. We don't want his rule. We don't want his reign. We don't want his kingdom. We want our own rule. We want our own reign. We want our own kingdom. We don't want the life that he brings. And so they begin to plot on how to kill the author of life himself. Upon hearing them say this, that he's doing this work not by the power of the Holy Spirit, but by the power of Satan, Jesus says unto them, you can say anything you want about me, but those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, that sin is unforgivable. This, you, he tells the Pharisees, you have just committed the unpardonable sin. To attribute To harden your heart, to to see so clearly the truth, the word, to understand it so fully, and yet to harden your heart so completely that you attribute the work of God to the work of Satan. Jesus says that they have committed the unforgivable sin, that they have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. And so then now you turn to Matthew chapter 13. And Jesus begins to teach in parables. What the Jewish leaders had done is they had rejected Jesus so completely, so fully. It is a tragic thing. They had stopped up their own ears. They had held tightly their own eyes. Their unbelief towards God was so stiff, was so deliberate, was so hard And by their own choice, it became irrevocable. And so Jesus begins to preach in parables when he speaks publicly, not to help them understand the truth, but to hide the truth from them. It is not a a method of, of helping them understand. It's actually a judgment of God against the sin of unbelief and their hard hearts. The truth of the meaning of the parables is revealed only for those who believe and trust in Jesus. The truth of the parables only is revealed for us who believe. And for those with hard hearts, it just doesn't make any sense. These were illustrations of important truths, and Jesus freely explained them to his disciples. He wanted to reveal truth to a certain group, and as an act of judgment, he conceals it from another. This answer Jesus gives for why he teaches in parables is so surprising and so shocking, it offends our sensibilities. I, I suspect that there's some people here that you're thinking right now, that can't be right. That can't be right. Not my Jesus. Not my, my Jesus wouldn't do that. That can't be right. This is where we need to be very careful that we don't bring our Jesus to the Scripture, that we don't concoct some false version of Jesus in our own mind, That is so radically different than the Jesus we see here on the pages of scripture. We can't make God in our image. We must submit to God and his revelation. Now I understand this is a very unpopular idea. It's not politically correct to talk about sin and unbelief and God's judgment of sin. It's not a popular thing to talk about. In churches today in America, it's politically incorrect. And if it's offending you this morning, praise God. (laughs) Praise God. So, with that little introduction out of the way, let's get to the meat of the parable and interpreting it in verse 18. So this parable is somewhat unique in that Jesus actually, or the, the, the explanation is recorded for us in Scripture. And Jesus is describing something that would be very common to them, a, a, a farmer going out to sow seed. Uh, the majority of their diet came from uh, uh, produce, fruits and vegetables. They were not rich people. They were very poor people. Um, they, they lived on the Sea of Galilee, which is a very fertile Place very fertile soil. As Jesus tells this story, they could probably look around and see fields that, have been harvest, that are, are growing with seeds that have been sown. They might even see off in the distance a farmer scattering seed. And as we get into the parable, um, it tells us very clearly in verse 18 um, or verse 19 that when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and that this is the seed that is being sown, Luke uh, chapter 8, verse 11 says that the seed that is being sown is the word of God. The seed that is being sown is the word of God. It's the gospel message being proclaimed, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news about what Jesus has done. That is the seed that is sown in this parable. And so what Jesus is talking about here is evangelism. When we share the good news, when we share the gospel, when we preach and proclaim the word of God, that there are different responses to it. How many of you have experienced that in your life? Jesus here is giving his disciples a parable to explain to them why different people respond different ways to the gospel message. The sower is the one who faithfully preaches the genuine Biblical, historic, gospel, good news of Jesus Christ—that is the sower. That's what I'm doing right now. I am the, by the grace of God, I pray that that's what I'm doing right now, <laughs> sowing the seed of the kingdom of God. The, uh, uh, Paul says in Romans uh, chapters 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God or the Gospel message. That this is how the kingdom goes forth, by by hearing the Word of God. And through that it goes down deep into our hearts. What's interesting to me is that there's not much made of the sower. You notice that? There's not much made of the sower. Because the power is not in the sower. The power is in the seed the life is in the seed the life is in the word and and if I could offer a critique to the culture that we live in where we make so much of the sower where, where we're so concerned about the person who's delivering the seed And it's so funny to me, it doesn't describe anything about this sower. It doesn't say what kind of clothes he's wearing, whether they're brand name or just a simple farmer's outfit. It doesn't go into detail about the type of sack he's using to carry the seed, whether it's a a plastic bag from HEB or a $1,000 Louis Vuitton designer handbag. Why why not? Because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter. We get so caught up in the sower. We get so caught up in in the methods of how we do ministry. The the X's and the O's and the power and the life is not in any of those things. And if we're not careful, we're we're like the, the, the Corinthians who say, well, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos' teaching, and I follow Peter. And then there was the really holy people who stand back and say, well, I just follow Jesus. We break into factions around different teachers because we like the way they fling the, the, you know, just like the way he throws it out there. I like the way he sows seed. He's got a good release. He's got a good, I like, I like the ark he's putting on that seed. Look how far he can fling that seed. It's like, listen, folks, the power is not in the sower. The power is in the word of God. And here's the cool thing. You can sow the seed as well. It's not just reserved for those who stand on a stage. It's not just reserved for the elite. All of us can sow seeds of the kingdom of God of the Word of God. In fact, God wants you to be sowing seeds, as we'll see in other parables. So as we get into it, the the different kinds of soils, there's four different kinds that Jesus talks about. What these represent is the different conditions of the human heart. The different conditions of the human heart that hears the Word of God, that hears the Gospel message, and how they either reject or receive the gospel. The first example is the category that the Pharisees were in, the religious leaders were in. This is the hard heart. In verse 4, Jesus says that the sower uh, threw some seed and it fell along a path. The birds came and devoured them. Verse 19, the explanation Jesus gives is that when someone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The path that the seed fell on is hard because the soil had been packed as people walked over it for years after years after years. Think about like a sidewalk. If you tried to plant something on a sidewalk, would it grow? No, it would not grow. It would just bounce off and the birds would come and eat it. Because the soil is so hard, the seed has no place to take root. It simply bounces off or it sits there and it's just wasted or stolen away. And so what is it that makes a human heart hard what is it that hardens a human heart there's really only one answer it's a little tiny word that's a really big problem it's sin sin is what hardens human hearts sin in your life will harden your heart against god This type of a hard heart is described in Romans chapter 1. If you want to go read about that, you can do that on your own time. I encourage you to do it. Paul describes in detail the hardness of heart brought on by sin. And this, let me underscore, is an incredibly dangerous place to be. And this is where the Pharisees were. It starts with a rejection of God's truth that is clear. This leads to unbelief and sin, which leads to a hardening of the heart, which makes it even more difficult to hear God's word and for it to go in and to take root, which leads into even more sin and more unbelief and more hardening of the heart that makes it even more difficult for God's word to get in. And it is a downward spiral. It's a vicious spiral. This will ultimately lead to you rejecting Christ and his kingdom, rejecting God's rule and reign in your life. And the only hope for someone in this condition is for God Almighty to sovereignly break in and break up that hard Heart. No amount of preaching's gonna do it because the seed just bounces right off. Cannot take root, cannot go in. The only thing is for God to crush that hard heart. To come in and sovereignly, as an act of kindness and mercy, reduce that person to nothing. And that is an act of God's love. people who are in that condition of a hard heart the example we have of that there's several examples of that in scripture the most popular one is the apostle paul who had so hardened his heart against the gospel message that he was even persecuting christians until jesus showed up and broke him broke into his life humbled him blinded him and said i am sending you now be a messenger of my gospel. The apostle Paul ended up bearing great fruit for the kingdom of God. So if you know someone in this state, you know what you need to do for them? Don't preach to them. Pray for them. Pray for God to crush them, to humble them, to reduce them, to, to break down the The hard and stony areas of their heart and their life. How many of you would say that that's how God saved you? That you had a hard heart towards God. You had heard the gospel a million times. Friends, family had pleaded with you, had had shared the good news with you. And you had just said, I will not. That's, that's weak sauce, that's for weak people, that's nuts. You want me to believe in some Jewish guy that was put on a cross 2,000 years ago? Are you crazy? And then God, as an act of love and mercy, came and just crushed you. And then the seed of God's word could come in to your heart. And it began to grow and it took root And that's what it is. That's what it is when the farmer goes and he plows up that hard ground. It's not a pleasant process, but it produces a harvest. Amen. And so what you can do for someone in that state is pray for them. Pray that God would move in their life, that he would get a hold of their heart, that he would do whatever it takes to bring them to a place of humility and repentance. The second type of heart we see is the shallow heart. In verse 5 and 6, he says that other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Verse 20 and 21 is the explanation. He says, and for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is seed that is sown over a, 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 a patch of ground that, that it has no depth. It, 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 it's a light layer of soil, but underneath is hard rock. And because of that, when when the seed goes in, its roots can't go down, and so it immediately, it just springs up. But because it has no roots, when the sun comes, it can't get nourishment, it can't get life, it can't get water, it's just scorched and dies. And this is people, Jesus says, who when they hear the gospel for the first time, they just receive it with joy. Yeah, I want that. That sounds great. Give me all of that. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Give me Jesus. They they respond to the gospel emotionally, but they don't make a full commitment to Christ. They may join a community group. They may even get baptized. They might walk down the aisle and say a prayer. They might be in church for a while. But then life happens. Things don't go the way that they planned. Hardship or difficulty. Something goes wrong. There's there's a, a, a death in the family or a sickness that comes. God doesn't do something the way that they thought it should be done. Maybe a relationship falls apart or doesn't work out the way that they wanted. Maybe they have a misunderstanding with other Christians, or, or they lose their job. Wh- whatever it is, just as quickly as they sprung up and were so excited about Jesus, when things don't go the right way, they just as quickly fall back and turn away from Christ and go back into the world. This reminds me of, of a friend I had in Bible school when I was going to Bible school. When we were sitting in our freshman class, there was a young man there who was so excited about everything that had to do with God. He was amening the professors. He, like uh, His mind was being blown like every 15 minutes. He was just like, wow, oh, that's amazing. Yes, hallelujah. He would show up early and just bug the professors incessantly with his questions. He would stay late to do the same. And as I got to, to know this young man, I found out that he had only heard about Jesus two weeks before Bible school started. He had only heard the gospel two weeks ago, and he decided, oh, I'm going to go to Bible school. And as the semester went on, he started showing up late to class, sitting in the back, not being very excited, and eventually he just stopped coming altogether, and he faded away. Things happened in his life, that did not go the way he expected, and he, because he had no root, the seed of God's word did not go down deep and take root in his heart. How many of you have known someone who have been very excited about God a lot for a very short period of time, and then things don't go well, and then they just fall away? They have, it has not taken root. They have not truly been born again. And they have not fully surrendered their life to the Lord. The third example that Jesus gives is is in verse 7. It's the strangled heart. That some seeds fell among thorns and weeds grew up and choked out the life. In verse 22, Jesus says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word And it proves unfruitful. You know, this is the one thing that we all need to be very careful of. This is a divided heart. A heart that is divided between allegiance to the Lord and allegiance to the things of the world. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve both God, he says, in the pursuit of wealth and money. You can only serve one master. You cannot have a divided heart. If you do, it's like weeds constantly growing in your heart, choking out what God is trying to do in your life. The example of this we see in Scripture is the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, I wanna follow you, I wanna be one of your disciples. Jesus says, great, awesome, we're looking for people to join our team. All you got to do is sell everything you have, go give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And it says that the rich young man went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. You see, his heart was divided. There were times where he wanted to follow Christ, but ultimately Jesus was not his God, His material possessions are what ruled him. You see, the thing was, he thought he had a lot of possessions. He thought he had a lot of wealth. But what we end up seeing is that it's actually the wealth who had possessed him. That it was his wealth and his possessions who were possessing him, who were owning him. And we, who live in the 21st century, in the greatest country the world has ever known, the most prosperous and rich country, the United States of America, we have to be very careful that our hearts do not become divided of pursuing God and his kingdom first and pursuing everything else that this culture promises. Material wealth, security, safety, a life of comfort and luxury. Listen, we're not called to pursue those things. We're called to pursue the kingdom of God, to seek first the kingdom. We must be on guard against this divided heart. Finally, the category I pray we will all be in is verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands. He indeed bear fruit that yields in one case a hundred, another sixty, and in another thirty. The one that was sown on good soil, this is the one whose heart is open, whose heart has been plowed by the Holy Spirit and is ready to receive the gospel message. It's only this heart, the open heart, where the gospel takes root and that receives the benefit of eternal life and is saved. So the question I have to ask you this morning is what kind of heart do you have? What kind of heart do you have? Do you have this kind of heart? Do you have an open heart that's open to receive God's word? Is your heart receptive to God's word? Do you receive God's word with joy and gladness and submission Do you allow God's word to go down deep into your heart? Do you do 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 your best to to keep from having a divided heart and allowing uh, weeds of sin to grow and to, to choke out what God's word is trying to accomplish in your life? Is your life producing fruit for the kingdom of God? Or do you have a divided heart? A heart that is sometimes very passionate about the things of God and at other times very passionate about pursuing the things of the world. Do you have that divided heart or that strangled heart? Do you have the shallow heart that every Sunday you come in here and you you hear God's word and yeah, I'm excited about it. But then you get to work on Monday morning and it's right back into your old ways of living life. The new man's not there anymore. It's the old man. It springs up, but there's no root. Or, God forbid, do you have a hard heart? A heart that you come week after week and you hear the gospel message and you hear the good news of Jesus and it just bounces right off. Before you even get to your car in the parking lot. The enemy has already come and snatched it away. What kind of heart do you have this morning? If you have a hard heart or you have a divided heart or you have a shallow heart. What can you do about it? What can be done for you? Let me tell you. You can no more plow your own heart than than the soil can plow itself. God has to do a work in your heart. God has to give you a new heart. I can't give you a new heart. You can't give yourself a new heart. But God can. And God will. Ezekiel, uh, the prophet Ezekiel talks about how God will replace A heart of stone with a heart of flesh. That you can cry out to God and say, God, give me a soft heart. God, give me, soften my heart. Plow my heart. Lord, the hardness in my heart. Break it up. Remove it. Lord, let me hear your word and and receive it with joy. And let let it go down deep into my heart and into my life. But it is a work of the Holy Spirit that God has to do in your life. But here's what you can do. When you hear the word, you can, instead of stopping your ears and closing your eyes and hardening your heart, you can simply submit. To the word of God. It's, it's where you yield control and you yield um, your, your pride and, and you humble yourself and you say, God, not my way, but yours be done. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. It's, it's, it's really nothing that you can do other than submit, other than lay your life down, other than to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you can yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. Or you can, like the Pharisees, harden your heart. So I would encourage you to not harden your heart, but to humble yourself, to relinquish your pride, to submit to the rule and the reign of Christ. And He will Produce in your life a great, great harvest. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us. Lord, that your word produces good fruit in our lives. Lord, for all of us here, I pray that you would give us open hearts, soft hearts to your word. Lord, that our lives would produce a great harvest that the fruit of your spirit would be evident to all in our lives, that our lives would be a blessing to others as you, your blessing is flowing through us. Lord, help us to be faithful sowers of your word. Lord, each person here, I believe, is called to share, to scatter seed, to share the word of the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus. Lord, help us to be faithful in sowing your word, knowing that your word has power, knowing that your word brings life, knowing that you ultimately are the one who brings increase and fruitfulness. Lord, that we would do it all to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning.